it's engaging with these stories. And if you live in the countryside, you are, you know, you, you, you want to be eating the landscape around you. If you live in the city, it's great to see what's coming in from around the city and to have that connection with, again, with the food that hasn't come too far. That's why farmers markets are such a great thing and, you know, and, and, and provide us with some nice stories about the food we, we, we're taking home. English writer, broadcaster and food activist Hugh Fernley Whittingstall has been in the public eye for about 25 years. He came to prominence as the founding host of River Cottage and he's gone on to write, I think, 15 books on food. In recent years, he's campaigned on numerous food systems issues, including ethical meat and fishing. He's coming to Australia as part of the Viva Health and Wellness Festival and because he has a new book to chat about, How to Eat 30 Plants a Week. I am really thrilled to have Hugh on Dirty Linen today. Welcome, Hugh. Thanks, Danny. It's a pleasure to be with you. It's really good to be uh, to have you on the show. So, health and wellness, a health and wellness festival. What does health and wellness mean to you? Well, I think it means different things to different people. But I guess, I guess one of the things it means to me is I'm getting a little older, and I want to I want to feel okay as um, as I enter the oh, what should we say, final third? Uh, you know. I'm one of those people who didn't think massively about my health when I was younger, particularly in relation to food. It, it was a great adve- food has been a great adventure for me for my whole life, and and it still is. That's not to say I ate a lot of unhealthy food because I was always interested in where food came from. And as soon as you take that interest, you want to know who grew it, what the story is, if it's a, a piece of meat, what 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 animal did it what breed did it come from what's that animal eaten how could that affect the flavor and if you have that intrinsic interest in the quality of foods i think that serves you on the whole reasonably well for your health um but in the last decade or so i've become i suppose more more intensely interested in how we can actually steer our diets towards keeping us well and and it's you know, if if you if we're from a coming from a standpoint of of reasonably good health, it's it's largely about staying well. Um, but if we have, uh, for whatever reason, um, a- allowed our diets to get the better of us, shall we say, then changing the way we eat can really be quite transformative. So it depends where you are, and it depends where you want to be. But um, th- there are some things that I think we can all sign up to for our well-being. And one of them, uh, increasing consensus among scientists and nutritionists everywhere, is to eat a lot more plants. Mm. I mean, it's such an interesting it's a, it's an interesting journey to try to bring people on, isn't it? Because as you say, people start in such different places. And I feel like in the time that you've been talking about it, the conversation has, has shifted a bit from, you know, putting personal responsibility at the forefront, you know, eat an apple a day, keep the doctor away, it's all on you kind of thing, to a a sort of dawning realisation that the food systems that we are all implicated in make it easier or harder at times for us to, you know, I guess, put health at the forefront of the way we eat. I mean, how do you you reconcile that as as you campaign on these things? Well, you're, you're absolutely right. We, we, we are um, in, in the Western world and, and globally because the f- food system 
the, the industrial food system is in itself voracious and it likes to gobble up cultures and try and um, uh, uh, bring everything in line so that, so that we, 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 there's a tendency for, for, for us all to end up eating a lot of the same foods, many of which aren't good for us. So we, we do need uh, systems change, but until the systems change, um, individual resilience uh, is definitely a tool that we can all deploy. Um, so I campaign on the political front. Uh, I, for example, here in the UK, you know, we still have uh, kids being bombarded with advertising for unhealthy foods uh, during their favorite TV shows and and online on the, uh, which is in increasingly a problem on the on the various platforms that that, that kids. Um, enjoy they they find themselves again targeted for advertising of, of, of foods that will if they if they if they get into them you know when they're when they're young they're gonna they're, they're not going to be well as they grow older so that's a real problem and that needs political solutions and it needs uh big business to acknowledge the some of the, the the problems that they've they've created and to address them that's a slow moving beast and we, we don't necessarily all want to wait around for the food culture around us to change for the better, or you could say we can't really necessarily afford to wait around, in which case um, we're going to have to take some steps, not necessarily on our own, because, you know, there's, there's, there's help out there. And I, I hope that one of the things I can do is actually help to enthuse people about making changes in the way they eat so that it doesn't necessarily feel like a massive chore or an obligation or something you do out of a sense of virtue or, or asceticism, but you do it because it's going to be fun uh, and still delicious and it's going to make you feel good. So uh, trying to find, you know, help people find positive motivation around uh, eating food. And it's coming back to the idea of eating more plants. That, that, that should be a relatively easy win because, I mean, I'm still an omnivore, by the way. I'm not coming, I mean, I've got, I've got a lot of time for uh, vegans and anyone, any, I've got time for anyone who's got principles and ideas uh, that, that, that inform the way they eat rather than uh, just, you know, not really thinking about what you eat. So I've got a lot of time for vegans and anyone who's thinking about the way they eat. But I'm, I'm still an omnivore. River Cottage, is, our cookery school, is still omnivorous. We enjoy our meat and fish. But more and more, we put plants at the center uh, of our cooking. And uh, you know, even, even if you're eating a lovely piece of meat, you're going to find a lot of plants on your plate as well, or before or after, et cetera, et cetera. So that's, that's kind of where I'm coming from at the moment. And I think it's a good direction of travel. Yeah, love it. So, I mean, if someone is to try to eat 30 plants a week, well, actually, first of all, what does that mean? Does that mean eating 30 different plants, fruits and vegetables? Does it mean, uh, tell me what it means. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, it does mean eating 30 different plants, but it doesn't mean plants in the strict, in, in, in the narrow sense of fruit and veggies, because obviously, there are a huge, there's a wide range of plants that we have in our diets, not just what we think of as fresh fruit and veg. You know, there's, there's pulses and nuts and seeds. Uh, there's the, you know, there's the dry store of excellent plant-based ingredients. And of course, there's the whole world of herbs and spices as well. And all of these foods count. So it's, it, it, we're not sort of asking people to leap from the sort of, I mean, here in the UK for a long time, the government has been encouraging us to eat five fresh fruit and veg a day. 
that's not a bad target if you if you know if you can pull it off but it once you start including and recognizing that diversity uh is the key so not just the same five fruit and veg an apple a carrot a bit of lettuce uh, etc every day but really embracing the diversity of what's out there i mean there are there in, in in there are two underlying principles here uh eating a lot of whole foods, foods that haven't been refined, um, and, and, and indeed a lot. So go whole and go varied uh, are my two mantras. Uh, that was, in fact, the kind of uh, lead idea of, of one of my previous books, Eat Better Forever. Um, and now we, we've got 30 plants in our site because uh, it's turned out to be just uh, – I mean, obviously, it, it, it doesn't have to be exactly 30, but 30 has turned out to be a kind of quite an optimal number from a number of studies that, that and, and indeed meta-studies that looked at lots and lots of different diets and the health outcomes of those diets. So people who are maybe doing paleo or on a vegan diet or, 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 or trying all sorts of diets, it turns out that the best he- health outcomes weren't necessarily associated with a particular diet, but within that diet, how many different plants a week you were eating. So going back to the 30, uh, that turned out to be pretty much optimal. More than 30 is great, but the benefits try and the, the benefits steep, climb very steeply in terms of you know, heart health and gut health and a, a diverse microbiome and all those things that we know are important. The benefits rose pretty steeply till you get to 30, and then they continue to rise a little bit, but they plateau. So 30 is a really good target number. And once you, re- once you realize that that actually includes seeds and spices and uh, uh, and herbs, it, it doesn't feel like quite such a stretch. And if you're someone who enjoys, you know, when you head for the shops, seeing what's seasonal and fresh and what's new in that week, um, you can you can rack up your 30 plants pretty quickly. And if you're someone who enjoys cooking with spices, then that's a great help as well. I cook more and more with whole seed spices. So I know I, so, you know, I'll get a teaspoon of cumin seeds and bash them up and throw them into the tray of roasting veg or whatever I'm got on the go. And, uh, and I know I'm getting the benefit of, of breaking open that, that whole seed and releasing not just its aromatics, but its micronutrients. And this is key to the idea of, of eating a lot of different plants. Um, every plant has different uh, things to offer you know there, there's, there's some overlaps obviously but but it, and frankly that's one of the reasons they taste different too is because they've got different things in them the the aromatics are closely related to the to the micronutrients so if we're experiencing a lot of different flavors we're also experiencing a lot of different uh benefits from plants so the the the, the whole thing uh goes hand in hand with uh, eating a- adventurous flavors as well as a wide range of different plants. Well, I, th- I reckon anyone reading that title and engaging with it would just the next thing you do is tally up how many plants you'd eaten recently. And I I don't want to be smug, but just before we got on this call and I've just worked, I've just realized now I just ate six plants because I made the simplest pasta um, and it's really just a using up what's around pasta. But with it, I had just like a punnet of um, cherry tomatoes and then I grabbed out of the garden 
some basil and parsley and I just I've got a my garden's just like out of control but what I could find in it was some warrigal greens which is an Australian uh, native plant which you'll have to try if you haven't already plus a bit of spinach plus a bit of silverbeet yeah so spinach silverbeet warrigal greens parsley basil tomato with pasta I'm just I'm actually flying I can uh, just ease off right later in the <laughs> week well on the way buddy. <laughs> but can I, can I ask you did you put a twist of black pepper on that yes I did does that count too <clears throat> Of course it does. Yeah, absolutely uh, it does. You, it's, an, it's a plant-based ingredient and it's a whole ingredient when you've got those whole seeds in your, in your pepper grinder and you grind them and you release the aromatics and you, you, you sprinkle it to another tiny little uh, portion of, of nutrients on your plate as well. These things are, are all significant. Now, obviously, the idea is not to just uh, eat a load of really bland foods and throw a bunch of spice on it. Those whole veggies and whole fruits are important too. But everything counts. That's the point. You're allowed to, you know, you're allowed to feel good about all the diversity in your diet, not just the fresh fruit and veg. All that plant diversity. Uh, it, so it doesn't have to be fresh, but it does want to be whole. So unprocessed, unrefined, uh, with all its goodness still intact. And and the, and the. And the seeds, the spice seeds in your cupboard, they can sit there for two or three years. They can actually go well past their use-by date. But if they're whole seeds, those nutrients are still packed in there. And they, and they fade very, very slowly. And when you crack those seeds open, you release those nutrients as well as releasing those lovely aromatic flavors. And you do yourself a power of good as well as making your food taste better. Yeah, love that. And I think you've answered my next question, which is I couldn't pour a glass of wine and call it seven, could I? Because the grapes are being processed. Um, well, you, you, it doesn't really tally to, to class uh, a glass of wine as a plant. But um, depending on the degree of processing, uh, if it hasn't got a lot of additives, if maybe it's a natural wine or an organic wine, we know there are benefits associated, particularly with an occasional glass of red wine. And Coffee does count. It's because it isn't highly processed. It's roasted and it's ground. And a, a decent cup of freshly made coffee uh, has got all sorts of things in it. That's, that's why half the world drinks. A, that's why half the world drinks a, a cu couple of cups of it every morning because it has got you know it's obviously got caffeine that gives us that lift. But it's got all sorts of other things in it as well. And uh, Professor Tim Spector, who's written the introduction to my book, is a, is a good friend of mine and a and a great uh, uh, kind of evangelist for, for this way of eating. Uh, he's a great fan of a cup of coffee and a few other things too, like a, 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 a splash of live cider vinegar, which has got lots of live bacteria in it. Um, and so all the fermented foods come into play here as well. Lots of uh, good ingredients. Uh, it, you know, you, it might be a, a kimchi or a kraut with a bunch of lovely veggies that have been fermented uh the veggies are still uh, the, the fermentation process brings out or makes more available some of the nutrients that you might not access when you when you just even if you even if you eat the vegetables raw or, or cooked you then get a different balance of nutrients when you eat the same vegetables fermented so there are lots of different ways of accessing the the nutrient benefits of the plants we eat and fermentation is a good way of releasing a lot of them yeah well i think now that I know we can count coffee, I definitely can be a foot soldier for you, Hugh, in this uh, 30 plants a week <laughs> campaign because, yeah, I'm, to hear it, yeah I'm, I'm on board. 
So, I mean, something that we can't help but talk about in food and indeed indeed in living, and I know it's the same in the UK as Australia, is cost of living pressures that are really impacting people. And it is, it is so hard for people to um, think carefully or to have time to think, to have time to cook, um, to not just, you know, grab the nearest, cheapest thing when they're really stretched financially. Um, I mean, how does that play into your thinking? Like, do you have, I don't know, any strategies apart from, I don't know, mine would be a universal basic income, let's say, but um, do you have any strategies that people can employ when things are tight? Well, that, that's a really good and important question. And and again, um, you know, that is partly a political problem. Uh, it's partly the prevalence of cheap foods from which the nutrients have been stripped out and, and they are the easy choice for a lot of people and they don't build good health. Um, ways around that... Um, it's difficult because you do you do need to foster a level of consciousness. Uh, if you if, if the if, if the question of the nutrient value of the food you're eating simply doesn't arrive in your life because you're too stressed, then it's going to be really hard. So we come back to a matter of education, really, and under, and and making sure that it's. Uh, well, you use the word you know universal in relation to income, but we do need a universal understanding of how fundamental what we eat is to our health. And that's something that's fostered at school. I mean, it's obviously fostered by by good parenting, but there's no reason not to include that as a fundamental in the school curriculum. If you want to build a, a healthy nation, then food is where you start. And if you think that healthy food is just a kind of something for the elite or it's, an, it's a nice to have or it's an added extra, you're never going to address the fundamental problems of, a, 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 of, the, of your citizens' health. So that's why it is a political issue and it is a matter for, for our education system. Um, and, and then if you do understand that as you're young and you're growing up and that, and that, you're, and that you have some familiarity with simple whole foods, um, Obviously, um, you know, we've, we've undergone a revolution, particularly in the last 50 years, the industrialization of agriculture, of food production, and indeed of, of, of food retail, if you like, because we are, you know, we're buying, as you say, we're buying ready meals and, and takeaways that are pre-made. So if we choose not to think at all about cooking or where our food comes from, we can be served by that market, but it won't serve our health. So as well as education about what uh, good food is, I think we have to help people to have some uh, fundamental cooking skills. Of course, it was seen as something of a liberation for women in particular to uh, not have to cook every day. And, 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 that's, and we shouldn't necessarily have to cook every day. But part of that shifting culture, which is, you know, I don't need to cook, I can just buy the food I need ready-made, uh, has a couple of decades down the line ended up not serving us well. If we do have the ability to put together a, a, a healthy meal from inexpensive and, again, mainly plant-based ingredients, then we have a resilience so that whatever, whatever else life throws at us, if we don't get the job we want or we don't, we don't you know, we're struggling to, to, to um, find the income that would, would give us a more comfortable life, if we've got some basic cooking skills, there is resilience there. Now, that might sound like, uh, you know, going back in time, but the fact is we do need to address this issue of dependency on unhealthy foods from which the nutrients have been stripped. And, and that is, for, for, for me, one of the key ways of doing it. 
increase people's ability to feed themselves with whole foods, and that means learning to cook. There aren't that many ways around it, uh, particularly in a marketplace where the cheap foods that are easy to access, that are ready to eat, are not good for us and uh, and are frankly making us ill. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. We're we're t- we're covering some big topics, but I, it is it is really interesting and. I don't know, tragic, ironic. I don't know. There's a few words you could throw at it, but just I think a lot of the the healthy food that we're talking about is, you know, what you might have called peasant food from various cultures. Like it is that really, it is simple, basic, seasonal, using you know ferments and other ways of preserving food that you speak about. It's it's that it's that frugality. Uh, I think. It's somehow we got away from. I don't know. Like it's it's all got so messed up. (laughs) You're absolutely right. But let's take that. Let's take that word. You know that frugality. It's not necessarily a pejorative word. That and if you go back to again the the peasant foods that that you mentioned from cultures. Well, what's at the heart of them? Often, well, often it's beans. Beans and greens and grains, but if those and, and beans and greens and grains are, are are a basis for an extremely healthy meal, and if you throw in a few roots, that's got some uh, good nutrients and and, and indeed uh, uh, you know some some useful whole whole uh, carbs as well. Um, that does not have to be a depressing meal. A big soup of of, of roots and beans and greens and grains, especially with a little pinch of spice. That's that's starting to be delicious. That's starting to be a really fantastic meal. If you've got a few leftover shreds of a roast chicken and you uh, you know sprinkle them on top, that's all good too. But so the building blocks for for these inexpensive healthy meals are also potentially really delicious, and you don't need a lot of skill to put them together either. And yet we very quickly lose sight of this in a sort of haze of. Oh, this kind of food is 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 just for for foodies who can afford it, or and it's become sort of the fact that in some quarters you can pay a lot of money for peasant food in expensive restaurants is is a little distracting from the from the value of the fundamentals there that are that are in those foods, which are really great for us, and they're not expensive. Yeah, but I think what you sometimes what you're paying for it goes back to what you were saying before. It's like you're paying for the skill of somebody to cook it and make it delicious. Um, but if we've got these skills at home, perhaps it doesn't seem I don't know like this inaccessible magic that only happens um, when it's done by chefs. We we can we can do it in our homes as well. We can do it in our homes, and those skills are not so far out of reach. You know, it's to me, it's a great thing that we've got. Um, past that idea where um, chefs were spending a lot of time not really caring that much about the quality of their ingredients, but trying to dazzle us by how they could make the food look on the plate by turning this into a puree and that into a mousse and, uh, you know, sort of foaming some bubbles over here, et cetera, et cetera. Um, That can be fun and it can also be quite pleasing on the palate, but it's a distraction from what really good food is, to be honest. And and now that uh, more chefs are interested in where their food comes from, they're interested in seasonality. They're interested in the the the, 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 the good flavors of food that haven't hasn't been mucked about a lot on the plate. Um, that's a positive thing. 
but we should all be ready to admit that that means that the the I mean you know you can still be witty and 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 playful in the way you combine those ingredients and and that's fun for those of us who enjoy eating out. But we are not so far away from from uh, things that people can do at home, and we should acknowledge that, and we should encourage people to. And you know, I hope that's what. I do with my cookbook. Say, look, I'm throwing together a really colourful bunch of different seasonal vegetables and plants, and maybe chucking in a tin of pulses for some extra protein and 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 actually a lovely creaminess that you get with things like chickpeas and beans, a lovely element in many dishes. It isn't hard. We can all be doing it at home too. Mm. I think one thing that I really appreciate with um, a lot of chefs and restaurants these days is that they do introduce people to new produce or to produce that they're perhaps not familiar with. And I'm thinking about, I don't know, kohlrabi that I ate in a restaurant recently. And I think a lot of people perhaps haven't done much with kohlrabi, but then they might think about it and see it at the shop and yeah. try it at home. <laughs> I wonder uh, if what you had, Danny, was did you have a carpaccio of kohlrabi thinly sliced, arranged beautifully on the plate and trickled with some exotic oils and a pin i'm not knocking that as but i mean it's an interesting thing isn't it that kohlrabi is a swollen root of a cabbage it's been around for a long time you can grow it very easily at home and it isn't it shouldn't be such an exotic ingredient it's a great ingredient and it can and it can be delicious to eat it in a in a in a fancy restaurant but also you can chop it into chunks and throw it in a soup and it's also really great like that yeah, well, actually, this was in a Korean restaurant and kohlrabi is not an ingredient that's found in Korea, but the chef perceived its similarity to daikon, so a radish that he had grown up with, and he cooked it in a vegetarian version of a pork dish that's normally pork cooked with daikon. He omitted the pork and just made it with kohlrabi. So there's a bit of a story to that dish, but I think what I suppose what we get, what I get out of that is chefs doing interesting things with vegetables that then makes, you know, consumers think, oh, you know, and what's kohlrabi anyway and what else can you do with it? And um, Totally. I, I completely agree. And, and, and sh- you know, obviously it's great to show a streak of, to, to be inspired with a streak of originality, but actually when you do see that, often those things are it's the it's the thinking that's original and the and the actual execution is quite straightforward and you can you know you can go home and do something very similar and, and enjoy yourself and, and and feel that you've added another a, a, another nice as you say another nice vegetable and an, and another nice technique to your home repertoire without having to do anything super complicated or challenging. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, so maybe you go and Google kohlrabi and you realize you can put it in a slaw and you could perhaps do this, do a little fancy carpaccio. Why not? (laughs) Totally, totally. Yeah. Um, Hugh, let's um, like rewind all the way back. And, you know, you talked about you've had a long engagement with food and where it comes from, but where did that start for you? Well, if you go, if you want to go way back, Danny, it's it started. I think one crucial moment was when my mum and dad, at the end of the sixties, moved out of London to to Gloucestershire in, in the in the middle of England, in the, uh, which is is uh, now it's Gloucestershire almost feels like a, in 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 the London commuter belt because it's been gentrified to pieces. But back then, it was proper farming country. And, and, you know, I'm talking to you from Devon, which is still proper farming country. And I did my own little uh, getaway uh, uh, 20 years ago to, to, to River Cottage and to this part of the world. But it does go way back for me. And I remember um, my my parents rented a, a house uh, in a village, a, a, a little farmhouse. Um, and when we moved in, there was already a veg garden there. And we moved in in the early summer. 
and there were uh, pods of peas uh, hanging off the vine. There were baby carrots. And on that very first day, we sat outside on the lawn eating vegetables from the garden. And my dad, in that moment, uh, started, uh, he became a veg grower, uh, having had no experience of anything like that. My mum, a, a, a year or so later, decided to become a garden designer. And, and, and our whole life changed as a result of that move. And, and so that really uh, stayed with me. And I, at the age of six, instead of being an urban urchin, I became a, a country boy. And, and that's informed my feelings about, about food ever since. And I, you know, I remember that again that first year, wandering down the, the hedgerows of the countryside, picking blackberries and, and, and wild gooseberries and, and, and things like that. And my mother became a more, and more and more interested in cooking. And I would help her in the kitchen. I was pretty interested in sweet I've always had a sweet tooth and I love making cakes and and I made a lot of the desserts for her 1970s dinner parties and stuff like that and uh, classics like profiteroles and black forest gatto and I got into all that but I was but I also got into the savory stuff and the veg that was coming in from the garden so food for me was uh, was a was you know when the outdoor playground was maybe closed because the weather was so appalling and I was inside, then the indoor playground was the kitchen. And that for me was a, a, a great adventure from, from my earliest years. It's yeah. I mean, we, we spoke earlier about, um, you're not trying to make eating well seem too worthy or too much of a chore. Um, but it, I can imagine, you know, as you started to become more interested in how food impacted your personal health, that you've got this, yeah, you've got this storehouse of ability and memory and, uh, you know, wholesome, <laughs> a wholesome childhood to look back upon. Um, do you feel like people, you know, no matter where they're starting from, they can start to to build that that sort of, I don't know, memory bank or um, experience bank that can sustain them? This is such an interesting point because, and, and, and the answer is absolutely yes. We all have, we all have uh, positive food memories of one kind or another, even if we might not now associate them with, with healthy food, foods that we loved or enjoyed or, 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 or surprised us or delighted us when we were young. And there's a, there's a really important reason for that that does connect to, um, in a way it connects to, to, to healthy eating and being, being really connected to where your food comes from. I mean, the, we've talked about the problems of associate, associated with industrialized food production and nutrients being stripped out of uh, uh, ingredients that then go into not very healthy ready meals, takeaways, etc. That's a that's a very recent problem. I mean, that is a problem of the last uh, fifty years or so, and even before that, um, even uh, you know, non-industrialized agriculture has only been around for you know a thousand to two thousand years. But we've but, and prior to that, every human for tens of thousands of years, every human on the planet was a hunter-gatherer. That, and, and by that doesn't make us kind of impoverished or food or, 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 or desperate in our search for food. Uh, uh, we, we, we struggle sometimes and thrive to other times. And we thrive because we had a very complex and deep understanding of the environment around us and the way it produced food at different foods at different times of the seasons. And wherever we were in the world, whether we're in a, a hot country, a cold climate, or living by the sea, or in the middle of uh, uh, of the jungle, we knew that environment. We knew at what time of the year it produced certain foods, and 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 that 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 
and and when we woke up every morning, almost every day of our lives was about uh, using that knowledge to feed, and that was the pretty much the the primary occupation of being a human for tens of thousands of years. Now that puts something in the in in the in the whole human memory bank of what it is just to be a human being, and I think that when we take more interest in when our where our food comes from. If we go foraging, certainly. But even if we go to a farmer's market and talk to someone about how they grew that beautiful vegetable or where that, what, what breed of pig that is and, and what they fed it, what, that is, even that act is connecting with that important uh, uh, sort of remnant in our brains of where your food come f- comes from really matters. And just to uh, add one thought to that, when we were when we were all hunter gatherers, hunting and gathering wasn't the only thing we did. When we sat down to share the bounty of that uh, gathering, we told each other stories, and we love a good story. And what were we going to tell stories about? How we got the food, because that's what we'd spent all day doing. So the, the, one of the fundamental hu- uh, human stories is how I got this food on the plate. That's that's going to that is basically for tens of thousands of years. We went and got the food, and we then sat down with people who brought other ingredients from other parts of the forest or, or or the estuary or whatever it was, and we told each other stories. So and so shinned up a tree to try and grab some honey, and they got stung by a bee and they fell out of the tree. But they landed on a wild pig and knocked it out. So we're all having roast pork for supper. You know. Th- <laughs> The, this this is this is what it is to be human, I think, and finding ways to reconnect with that, uh, with the with the deep past around food, is satisfying. It does it does give us, it 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 nourishes us mentally. It nourishes our culture, and it really matters. Yeah, oh, look, so so beautifully said. I mean, I think the reason that I love writing about food, thinking about food, talking about food is that connection. Um, and yeah, I think people, I think a lot of our food systems explicitly and on purpose disconnect us from the origins of our food and all the impacts um, that it has along the supply chain. So I, I yeah, completely agree that the more we can take back that power and, yeah, have a conversation with, with you know, I had a great conversation with my fruiterer um, yesterday about broccoli and, you um, he, you know, reported on his conversation with a broccoli farmer and how much the price of fuel was impacting what he was doing. And I, I think, um, yeah, no matter no matter where you are, you can probably have a conversation with someone um, about the food that's around us. And yeah, it's beautiful. And, and that's what you know. That, that's what River Cottage has been for me down the years. I mean, it started as a TV show. Now we're lucky enough to have a cookery school in Devon, and it's all about it just inviting people to make connections with the food around them. We, we take them foraging, or the, we show them some new skills like making cheese or, or charcuterie. Um, and and all day we're talking about food, and 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 there won't be anything that appears in front of you where we can't tell you where it comes from and. We talk about our suppliers and our friends. Um, you know, we're lucky to not we're not the only organic farm. We two two of the farms on our borders are also producing organic food and uh, fantastic ingredients, and we love to share them. So it, it, it's engaging with these stories. And uh, it, if you live in the countryside, you are you know you 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 want to be eating the landscape around you. If you live in the city, it's great to see what's coming in from around the city. And to have that connection with, again, with the food that hasn't come too far. That's why farmers markets are such a great thing. And I mean, 
you know, and, and, and provide us with some nice stories about the food we, we've, we're taking home. So I'm sure your timetable in Australia will be busy. The Viva Festival's on in Melbourne and in Sydney, but um, will you have any downtime and what will you do with it? Okay, well, um, I am I, one of the things I love to do uh, is is to get into the ocean and snorkel. And, I, and uh, I've done a little bit of that on my trips to Australia, but I am just sizing up a couple of quite exciting opportunities to, to go diving and to, and to see the, the, some of the beautiful things uh, under, the, under the ocean uh, around, the, around the edges of Australia. Obviously, I haven't got masses of time and I've got to make a decision quite soon about which of those fantastic opportunities I'm going to pursue. But uh, that's, that's one, one of the things I'll be doing. And of course, everywhere I go, I'll be looking for another delicious meal and, and, and keen to find out uh, who's cooking with the best seasonal ingredients and, and where I can enjoy particularly some fruit and veg um, that, that are a little bit different from what I enjoy while I'm here. And in fact, in the Viva Festival, well, I'm welcoming to the stage some local growers who I know will be bringing with them one or two things that they think I might not have tried before. So um, it's not just me on the stage babbling on as I have been to you, Danny. I'm looking forward to meeting uh, some, some local growers and, and, and doing a little bit of cooking on stage with, with ingredients that, that uh, are, are special to the time of year and to the place where I'm going to be. So really looking forward to coming back to Australia and really looking forward to enjoying some of your wonderful food. Uh, well, um, we look forward to welcoming you mid-March um, in Sydney and Melbourne for the festival. Um, may the snorkeling waters be clear and calm and may you see many beautiful creatures. And, uh, yeah, I wish you m many delicious bites of Australian produce. Um, Hugh, so wonderful to have a chat to you. Um, you I wouldn't call it babbling or at least I'd, at least I'd <laughs> say you're a, you're a dab hand at babbling if that's what it is. Uh, but it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on Dirty Linen. Thank you. For me too, Danny. Lovely talking to you and hope to catch you when I'm in Melbourne. That would be great. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you.